Welcome, I'm Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki in Memoriam podcast. This podcast is created by Anna Pezhanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute, New York. Penderecki in Memoriam podcast unveils a multifaceted portrait of Krzysztof Penderecki with commentary from musicians, colleagues, radio programmers, and writers who lend insight and memories of Poland's greatest modern composer. This podcast is part of Penderecki in Memoriam Worldwide Project, honoring the life and legacy of the great composer. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Schott EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. The Washington Post cited Laura Kaminsky as one of the top 25 female composers in classical music. Ms. Kaminsky, who heads up music composition at New York's Purchase College, frequently addresses critical social and political issues in her work, including sustainability, war, and human rights. She has been characterized by the New York Times as possessing an ear for the new and interesting, and the American Record Guide has labeled her music strong stuff, full of fire as well as ice, contrasting dissonance and violence with tonal beauty and meditative reflection. Laura Kaminsky is here with us to discuss one of her favorite composers and arguably Poland's greatest contemporary composer, Krzysztof Penderecki. Hi, Laura. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hi there. Delighted to be here. Laura, your connection to Poland is very strong, and the president of Poland honored your innovative presentations of Polish music, awarding you with their Gold Cross of Merit in 2016, one of the highest civilian medals given by the Republic of Poland. That's quite an accomplishment. It was an incredible honor, and I was so moved by it. Now, you met Maestro Penderecki in 1996 while serving as artistic director of the European Mozart Academy. What is your recollection of that meeting and what were your first impressions of the man? The European Mozart Academy was the brainchild of a New York-based French-American lawyer named Alain Coblance. His idea was that after the end of the Soviet Union, there was a brain drain of talent from Eastern Europe to Western Europe. And he had this idea as a music lover that if there was a way to create a music academy for the best musicians that was in Eastern Europe, that brought together Eastern and Western artists and faculty to coach them, that perhaps that would help stabilize the local community. And so we were based in Poland the year that I was the director. This was underwritten by the European Union and funding from George Soros's Open Society. And we had about 45 young musicians, postgraduate age musicians from, I think, 26 countries. And I think they spoke 13 native languages living together in this old country estate in a village outside of Warsaw. And Maestro Penderecki was one of the advisors to the academy. So it was told to me as the new incoming director that he would usually come once a year. And I, as a composer who so loved his music, was like, well, this is fantastic. We're going to do a festival and celebrate his music. So we found quite a number of 
his solo and chamber pieces, since this was a small academy, and prepared them for him. And the day he arrived, I made sure that all the students were well-groomed and ready to go. And he drove up with his wife and came out, and it was cold, and we all came outside to greet him. And he had this elegant, thick wool coat on. And he came in and said, well, we're so delighted to be here. Before we start rehearsing, let's have a vodka. And so everybody cheered, toasted him. And we went into the salon room and three of our students presented to him. And he at first said he didn't even remember the piece that one of them wanted to play, which was a short piece for clarinet. And he didn't want the score. And after the first read through of the piece by this young musician, the maestro got up, walked over and said, no, no, no. And he exactly knew one note that he didn't like the way it was played. And it was like crystal clear in his mind. And he walked right over and he pointed to the score and he said, no, no, no. I want more of an accent there or, you know, more intentionality with that note. And it just blew me away that he had that deep knowledge of his own work, a work that he didn't even remember that he knew. But he was so gracious and so brilliant and caring with the students as he coached them. One of the pieces that we presented to him was his clarinet quartet from 1993-94, which is probably one of my two or three favorite chamber music pieces of the entire 20th century canon. And to actually have the opportunity to have him coach it and for me to watch him coaching it and bring it to life was just an extraordinary experience. And we toured that piece. So when we went out on the road and we traveled to like 12 countries over the course of the year, we played it a lot. During your tenure as artistic director for New York City Symphony Space, you often programmed Penderecki's music, and this included your collaboration with WQXR's Q2 channel in 2013 for Penderecki's 80th birthday celebration, with the great composer present on stage speaking with the audience in between pieces. What is your recollection of that event? That was one of those magical nights that one never forgets. I don't remember the entire program now, but he was so gracious about the evening. It's a very small hall, a small recital hall, seating about 150 people. It was jam-packed to the rafters. I remember all of my students from the conservatory at Purchase came and had a row and their eyes were falling out of their head. And he actually went up and shook everybody's hand afterwards. 
it was just a night that nobody will ever forget. But he was very moved by the performances that night. And he was also having pieces done at Carnegie Hall during his 80th birthday celebrations. And I believe he did some major performances in other cities around the country. But in New York, I know that Anya Perzanowska from the Polish Cultural Institute, who helped to make this chamber music concert possible at Symphony Space, said to me that that concert was one of the highlights of his 80th birthday year. And I was just so thrilled and honored and grateful to him, but honored to be able to give him that gift. Let's discuss the quartet for clarinet and string trio. We'll illustrate and augment our conversation with the Naxos recording of the piece, because that's the one which features clarinetist Michel Latique, who was the clarinet professor at the European Mozart Academy. Yes. The beauty of the faculty at the academy was they rotated every few weeks. So there was no full-time faculty. We'd fly people in from all over the world, and they would do like two weeks or three weeks of intensive master classes as we prepared for the next concert that we would then take a group of the students out and do a tour. And so Michel came, I think, two or three times during the year that I was there. And he actually coached this piece. The opening is heartbreakingly beautiful in its simplicity and elegance. It's a solo for the clarinet, and it's lonely and gentle and anguished but with beauty. It's just got incredible grace as clarinet writing for the clarinet. And it starts in the middle range and it creeps its way up and then it sits and falls and it creeps its way back up and it's unaccompanied and then the strings come in, just pulls at your heart until it dies away. And then the second movement is this scherzo, starting with the strings very fast. In unison, basically running, but in a whispered run and then the clarinet bursts in. single time I hear it, it just gives me chills. 
I mean, I'm a composer and I listen to music and I write music all day long. And there are some pieces that you just go, yeah, that's a great piece. And then there's this piece that just always like takes my breath away. The scherzo is very aggressive. These repeated patterns in the strings and the striking response back from the clarinet. You know that there's going to be a clarinet entrance at some point, but the strings are all just dancing along and it's just very, very fast, you know, prestissimo, 3-4, but it's not really like a waltz. The downbeat isn't always clear where it is, but it's just constant. It just goes on, 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 and it climbs up and it goes down, but it starts really, really quietly and it gets louder and louder until it gets insistent in the higher range of the instruments and they're in unison and then the clarinet just crashes in. And then comes down very low to the middle of its range and joins them in that rhythmic unison of threes. Just a great moment in music. Then we go straight into the brief and very light serenade, the tempo de valse, which sounds like it almost references Schoenberg. Yes. To me, it has a nostalgia to it, and it does make me think of Schoenberg. And I will just say, this morning I was making the final approval of the edits of my next CD that's coming out, and the end of the second movement of this score to the beginning of this serenade provides a record label a real problem, <laughs> because I just was dealing with it in my own piece, which is that the last note of the second movement of Tenderetsky's piece that leads into the serenade is tied over. And where do you start the track of movement three, serenade? Because it's connected with an elision where the viola is holding across the bar line as is the clarinet. And it's not till the end of one of the first measure of the serenade that there's motion. So do you start your new track on the end where there's motion or in the middle of the held note that goes across the bar line? It's that elision where you realize you're in one world and you're leaving it and going to another world, but there's a moment where those worlds are one. And that's that delicate moment at the start of this little waltz. It's one of those things that composers do that really annoy record labels. Then the motion stills and the finale begins, the loghetto, which is a much longer section than the other three, concentrates on this pedal tone sound in the cello around these entwined motifs and the strings open up in these wide harmonies below the clarinet. Penderecki said in an interview, this illustrated that the private supper of four friends has just come to an end. Each of them had something to say during the meal, but they know one another so well that there is no need to say everything. I remember reading that at one point. And again, the pitch content and the sort of lilting flow in this movement is so true to his voice. There is yet again a lot of semitone motion and two notes that are half step apart and then a, a leap often a third, sometimes a seventh, and then another set of semitones. I mean, it's so classic. It's so true to his voice. 
he knows how to build to a big climax in the most understated and powerful way. I mean, this is truly a great composer and just a generous spirited man, as is Madame Penderecka. They were a beautiful couple. It was such a shock to me when I saw that he had passed. I keep the program from that concert that we did at the Mozart Academy that he signed for me. I laminate it and it hangs over my piano. So I look at his handwritten signature every day. What are your recollections of last March 29th when he passed away? I remember opening up the newspaper and seeing the obituary and I just gasped. It was early into the pandemic and it was already a pretty dark time and everybody felt so isolated and fearful and dark. I felt like a light had gone out. But then I quickly just went back to remembering him and I went and got a picture of him and me from when we did the concert at Symphony Space and I looked at my pictures from when we were in Poland and I thought wow we've gotten old. <laughs> But I tried to remember all the beauty of having known him and a few times during the year we were in Poland when we gathered we met in Krakow for a festival there and it was just a cheerful joyful time it was Easter and it was beginning to be a little bit more light because it's very dark in Poland in the winter and we were outdoors and celebrating and then in New York the joy that he had at that very intimate chamber music concert and then i guess a few days later was his concert at carnegie hall and i went with a group of friends and we just were so happy to give him a congratulatory hug it's always very hard when people who are sort of their people but they're larger than life i didn't believe it when picasso died i fell apart when i saw that shakuria had passed these people who were just they consume so much big space in your heart and mind they're great artists that you can't imagine that they're not in the world but of course they are because they leave us with all this beautiful art that they've made Laura Kaminsky, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast to discuss the great Polish composer Krzysztof Penderecki. Thank you so much for having me and for honoring his beautiful legacy. This is Max Horowitz, producer and host of Penderecki in Memoriam podcast, created by Anna Pejanowska and presented by Polish Cultural Institute New York. Thank you to project partners Dukes, Naxos, Ludwig von Beethoven Association, and Schott EAM for sharing Christoph Penderecki's music with the world. We appreciate you joining us in honoring and celebrating Penderecki's life and legacy. Make sure to subscribe.